0: Stoltenberg said that even the relationship between Russia and China is a threat to NATO. This only proves the urgency of our task of countering modern forms of colonialism and hegemony. NATO is not ready to respect the sovereignty of other states. This is megalomania, which is expressed in all actions of the alliance's leadership.
1: Jakarta is more than 10,000 kilometers away from Vilnius, but uh, Sergei Lavrov is right in the fact that uh, the echoes of the NATO summit in the uh, Lithuanian capital are uh, being heard here in Jakarta. Uh, first and foremost, because uh, that summit took an aim at uh, two major partners of uh, of the ASEAN. Uh, first, being Russia, which at least from a geographical perspective would be understandable because Russia is part of the North Atlantic. But uh, they also targeted China, which is worlds apart from uh, where uh, NATO uh, traditionally. Uh, saw its uh, sphere of influence. Uh, Just to remind our audience, the latest summit, NATO summit in Vilnius, mentioned uh, uh, China 14 times in its communique, describing it uh, openly as a threat to its uh, interests, a threat to its values. And uh, that speaks of the fact that um, NATO take an aim uh, of China and possibly uh, draw some of the Chinese uh, neighbors and Asia members into its efforts to contain uh, this uh, this country. Now, here's exactly what uh, Sergei Lavrov had to say about the the danger of such policies.
0: The United States and its allies are trying hard to change a sino-centric security architecture here in the Indo-Asian region. Stoltenberg declared that security is not a regional, but a global task. This thesis is that the Euro-Atlantic and the the Asian region are indivisible. NATO military infrastructures are already planning to move to the region, including to countries that were invited to the summit in Vilnius, such as Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Korea. Japan, by the way, is already giving a signal that it is not averse to the idea of hosting American nuclear weapons or acquiring their own. This is a very serious and dangerous trend. Russian
1: foreign minister also said that uh, early in the day—
2: Welcome to the Rob Manish Show, folks. U.S. policy is strengthening China instead of weakening or containing it, and it's true Thursday. That's a fact. And while the U.S. weakens itself through poor foreign policy and national security choices, like depleting its war reserves for the Ukraine war, pursuing the folly of NATO entering the Indo-Pacific area of responsibility— prioritizing racialized and sexualized personnel policies and training in its armed forces, damaging its recruiting efforts and chasing crazy climate policies, China builds its military and its economic muscle by taking advantage of our weaknesses. It's strengthening its alliances and stepping in to take a leadership role in the Ukraine conflict as the U.S. blocks any diplomatic solutions to that war. China is leading the BRICS nations to launch a gold-backed currency and building strong relationships with our allies, such as Saudi Arabia, while we chastise them and drive wedges between us ourselves. Just how many of our senior leaders are captured? by China's Communist Party, besides Joe Biden. I don't know, but it perplexes me what's happening. And uh, today our guest is uh, retired CIA officer, Sam Faddis, a friend of the Rob Manis Show, an expert in Asia uh, and this area of operations. Uh, Sam, welcome back to the Rob Manis Show. We're now live on Red Voice Media Network, bringing the facts and the truth, brother.
3: Great to be here. Thank you very much.
2: Well, I know that was Mr. Lavrov from, you know, Russia's chief diplomat uh, speaking in that opening clip there. But uh, I wanted to put it out there to show how, how, uh, you know, we, we uh, that's a situation that we, I believe, have helped create that he has this pulpit now to talk about uh, uh, our, our once vaunted NATO defensive alliance that brought the Soviet Union down, really. I mean, the United States uh, should take full credit for establishing NATO and supporting it through all those years, but it was a defensive alliance. Uh, and now we've taken these actions and Rob now has this platform that he can say we're we seek hegemony you know we we're, we're narcissistic you know uh, uh, we're making decisions uh, that are focused on solely preserving power uh, and really that's a lot of that is our doing and the west doing isn't it?
3: Yeah I mean you know what what strikes me here I mean up front for those folks that that haven't heard me say this before. Look, I'm no friend of Vladimir Putin's. He's a thug, and his fantasy of reconstituting the Soviet Union is a fantasy, and his invasion of Ukraine has gotten him exactly what he deserves, which is, right? He's pulling pulling T-62 tanks out of mothballs that were obsolete when I was a lieutenant in armor school in the 80s, right? That's how bad it is for him. But, I mean, what's absent here uh, is the focus for us on American national security, which unfortunately I think has been true so many times over at least the last 20 years. It's like, the only thing that really matters here is our Ameri- for, for our purposes, are Americans safer in their beds at night and is this a rational policy? And again, Putin got what he deserved in Ukraine, but how does this continued obsession with perpetuating the Ukrainian war, pouring jet fuel on the conflict, this endless eastward expansion of NATO, which while, as you've noted, the real enemy, in terms of power and threat, is communist China? How does how does any of this make sense? I mean, I certainly am one that thinks the the goal in Ukraine should be a negotiated end to the fighting, not just how many more billions of dollars can we send, and how much more ordnance that we can't replace are we going to hand over to the Ukrainians? So when our guys have to go to war time in the next several years, they're going to be told, well, I'm sorry, we don't, you know, the cupboard is bare.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it, it puzzles me, too. And, and and I've said many times on this show myself, you know, uh, I didn't think Putin would start this war, honestly, because it really wasn't in Russia's interest, but he did it anyway, uh, and, and he's he's paying the price for that uh i don't think he's paying the price we want him to pay based on our sanctions and those kinds of things but uh, but he is paying a price for that but we're we're paying him in my opinion, a much heavier price. And, and, and just breaking this morning before the show, Sam, you know, the Russians have now said uh, formally that uh, the F-16s being interjected into the Ukraine Air Force uh, will be perceived by them as a nuclear uh, type platform because, you know, NATO's nuclear capability is all based on the F-16 at this point uh, uh, and has been for quite some time. Uh, so it's NATO aircraft that are being put into the, the Ukraine. And, and and I'm not saying that those are nuclear capable F-16s because it takes specific types of equipment and capability uh, for it to be that capable. Uh, but, the Russians are saying it doesn't really matter, uh, and so they're, the way I see it, that's driving them more into this bear hug, uh, to use, uh, use the bear as a reference, this bear hug that they've given China uh, in order to actually increase their national security. because. Nations act in their own interest, and, and they're embracing China even more because of the actions of the United States and NATO, and NATO, by by and large, is led by the United States. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible we continue to make uh, these missteps at the strategic level because of this war in Ukraine, Then it doesn't make any sense. And, and I'm up. Look, I'm the first to say the Ukrainians deserve to be able to live in peace and and, and be focused toward the West and those kind of things. Uh, uh, but, you know, this whole timeline from 2010 forward to now uh, uh, really is in large part uh, our, uh, a big part of our actions have resulted in where we're at today, not forgiving what Putin's done, but... You know, everybody's got to step up and take responsibility, and we've just got to make better strategic decisions because China is the real threat, and a Russia-China close military alliance is a threat even greater than the old Soviet Union to not just the United States, but to freedom lovers around the world, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, you and I both both know, having been around this game for a long time, right, national security is not a schoolyard fight. It's not about egos. It's not about bravado. It ought to be, like, really cold, calculated decisions, right? I mean, let's remember in the Second World War, we allied ourselves with the Soviet Union to defeat Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan, not, not because we thought the Soviet Union was was a force for good but because we sat down and made this really hard-nosed calculation that the immediate goal is we got to crush Adolf Hitler and Imperial Japan and this is what's going to be required to do it that's the kind of Calculus, right? You think, I I mean, I mean that just as an illustration of okay, what is going to make Americans safer and take us to victory? Putin's a thug. I've said that a million times. I don't support his invasion of Ukraine, but I would submit to you that. Any Russian leader watching NATO come closer and closer and closer to Moscow, watching the Poles talk about how they want a U.S. armored division in a base that they would like to call uh, Camp Trump on the Polish-Russian border, any Russian leader would be thinking, this, this is a threat. And I think they said that, they being the Russians, about a million times over the course of many, many, many years. So my question comes back to, again, it's not about kissing up to Putin. How did it benefit the United States of America and American citizens to continue this advance? And let's point out, We haven't changed direction one whit, right? We are, as Mm -hmm. we speak, bringing Sweden into NATO. We're now talking—I'm still talking about bringing Ukraine into NATO. And we're pushing— the, not only are we neglecting the Chinese front, not only are we pulling down our, draining our war stocks, I mean, we're pulling munitions out of Israel and yeah. out of Korea pre-positioned for war and sending that stuff to Ukraine. It'll take us five, six, seven years, in some cases, to replenish. Um, not only are we doing that, but as you pointed out, we're pushing Putin further and further into a corner, and when you do that, you know, you're going to get a reaction, like you're going to force him into a tighter uh, alliance with China. Maybe you're ultimately going to succeed in pushing him to fire off tactical nuclear weapons as a signal of, okay, game over, stop, if the Ukrainians actually start to break through. I mean, okay, time to get everybody to the table and begin what I'm sure will be a mind-numbing process. Of negotiating a solution let's let's bring, let's talk this thing down
2: yeah uh, and, and you know sam uh this week also broke uh with the nato summit the president uh in uh, nato decided ukraine's not going to be fast-tracked uh, uh on the fast-track entry pathway to become a member of NATO, uh, and they're not going to be uh, a member of NATO as long as they're in a war with their their eastern neighbor, Russia. Uh, so uh, that is a good signal. Uh, it's one I've been calling for. We have to have to get the facts out there. Uh, for, for once, I can say I agree with the president of the United States on that decision and NATO on that decision. That's the best decision that's been made in all of this, uh, in my opinion. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh but there, he also, Biden also mentioned, uh, that, uh, Russia's got some, you know, he's got some territory there about 20% of the country and, uh, uh that there's going to have to be negotiations to get this over with. So I think that's good news.
3: Well, that's, I, I would agree. Those are encouraging signs. Although. Yeah. He's talking about when Ukraine will join NATO, but implicit in that statement is Ukraine is still going to join, join yeah. NATO, which is going to kind of be a big deal for the Russians. I'm not suggesting a negotiation would say to say to Vlad, okay, cool, you can keep everything that you overran in mm-hmm. the legal invasion of a sovereign nation. I'm not suggesting that at all. I mean, I just honestly don't... I don't think the difficult... I think the difficulty is in making the decision that we want this to be a negotiated settlement and getting out of this idea that we're just kind of having fun, bleeding the Russians, pouring in money, you know, this kind of thing. -hmm. Vladimir Putin and say, listen, brother, we can do this all day. We're not taking any casualties. You're pulling 40-year-old main battle tanks out of storage to keep this going. So you're bleeding to death. You just barely survived a coup attempt. So... You need to go to the table, and let's be honest, to be blunt, with Mr. Zelensky. If it
4: wasn't for us, the Russians would be occupying Kiev right now.
3: So we need, that's you, right. to, we need you to go to the negotiating table unless you plan on continuing all by yourself. I mean, I hate to yeah. put it in the terms, but you know that's not the kind of thing you say to a guy publicly. Those are the kinds of things you say behind closed mm-hmm. doors. In negotiations. The only reason your country still exists is because of the United States of America. So we need That's to right. sit down at the table. That's what exactly we're right. the fact that we we have preserved you as a nation. So we get a say, and that is you're gonna start talking. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh,
2: and we should support them in starting to talk, too. Well, we've got to take a break and pay some bills, Sam, but uh, uh, we'll turn more towards China for the rest of the show. Interesting uh, things going on this week with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs nominee uh, hearing and everything. And I've got a little video I want to show you about the Chinese military and what it's doing with kids after the break here. I'm Rob Maness, Red Voice Media Network. We'll be right back with uh, Sam Faddis.
5: interrupt today's programming to bring unfortunate news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled. Volatile markets. Dial 833 the number 2 USA Gold. Yes, call now 833 287 2465. This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Call 833 the number 2 USA Gold. Yes, call now. 833-287-2465. Act swiftly. (sighs) 833-287-2465.
6: Learning how to handle firearms is apparently the key to a well-rounded childhood, at least in the eyes of the Chinese Communist Party. According to a report by the Daily Caller News Foundation, this summer, kindergartens across China are hosting boot camps to train children with military weapons. From how to handle weapons to how to fight like soldiers, the camps offer combat training for boys and girls with different toy weapons, such as knives, grenades, rifles, and shoulder-fired missiles. They're also taught military behavior, like saluting. The boot camps are happening in major cities from Beijing to Nanjing and Shenzhen. They're also run in more than half a dozen Chinese provinces, including Anhui, Fujian, and Guangdong. Uniformed Chinese soldiers oversaw the programs. The campaign follows the CCP's push for increased national defense education in 2019 with a focus on China's youth. Beijing also directed schools to feature defense-related activities in 2022. Experts say the growing push to militarize China's youth may be about more than boosting so-called patriotism in the next generation. Instead, it could aim to prepare future soldiers for Beijing's inevitable war plans.
2: Welcome back to the Rob Maynard Show on Red Voice Media Network. Uh, We're live and talking uh, the real threat to to freedom and to the United States of of America itself uh, and our allies uh, around the world really is uh, the Chinese Communist Party uh, and its efforts to uh, become the global hegemon, really. Uh, that's what it looks like it's focused on. We're talking with retired CIA CIA officer and friend of the show, Sam Pattison. I might add, senior editor editor of And Magazine. You can uh, uh, find that on Twitter. Uh, And uh, amongst many other things, Sam is a multi-talented man and uh, friend of this show, uh, been coming on for quite a while. And I appreciate uh, you helping us out. You know, that video reminded me of a couple of things. One of uh, hearing my grandfather and my dad and, and his brothers and my aunts and uncles who all came from Southern farming families and grew up around firearms, talking about firearms training in school uh, back in the day, which we used to do, uh, the same crowd that won World War II, Received those kind, that kind of education uh, here in the United States of America. But two, uh, the uh, and I mentioned it before the break. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs, nominee uh, General CQ Brown, the U.S. Air Force Chief of Staff uh, hearing was this week, and he had to face a lot of questions about his his uh, prioritization of racialized and sexualized. Uh, uh, training and and focus on personnel policies and those kinds of things, uh, uh, which uh, just creates the ultimate contrast for me of what the Chinese uh, Communist Party is doing and what we're doing when it comes to military forces.
3: Yeah. Uh, look, I think Brown is a terrible choice to be chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and I think you know, during his during his questioning, one of the senators, I forget which one, asked him about an incident that he'd become aware of, where a 18-year-old female recruit, I think this is Army basic training, is required to shower with, you know, an open bay shower uh, with a bunch of biological males. Because those biological males, I guess, have identified whatever that means as female and claim that they've now begun some sort of chemical transition. But we're, you know, look, these are men uh, with all of the requisite uh, parts, and uh, we got eighteen-year-old female who's required to shower with them, and the senator brings this up to the general now. You and I, I guess, would hope that the response of a general to discovering that somebody's telling his female soldiers that they got a shower with a bunch of guys would be to be furious and respond Mm -hmm. that I identify everyone involved in this, and I guarantee you— it will never happen again. Instead, we got some sort of mamby-pamby thing about not making people uncomfortable, no commitment to anything, and that going forward, he would do his best um, to, to make it stress-free it, to be in the military or something innocuous like that. I also watched a video the other day of uh, Brown when he was in Korea, and it mm-hmm. was— t- Command, I don't remember the specific unit, what the Air Force unit, but anyway, it was sort of, he was addressing the troops, maybe was what it was, in in regard to diversity day or something like that. Um, And his entire speech, this is to an entire unit, right? His entire speech concerned percentages of African-American pilots, percentages of females, I mean, in other words, I guess from my optic, having been a military officer, you, you know, you, you, I think share the same view. You're talking to your unit. There's no white guys, black guys, brown guys, men, women here. There's, in this case, airmen present. There are Air Force personnel. One team, one fight, and everybody gets treated the same. And nobody looks at anybody other than we all wear the same uniform for the same cause on behalf of the same country. And yet everything yeah. about this talk was division, division, division. Don't look at yourselves as all Americans to protecting other Americans. No, you should yeah. think of yourself as atomized down to these categories. And I thought, good Lord, I mean, If there has been a colorblind meritocracy in the United States of America, at least since Harry Truman ordered the the integration, the armed service, it's the United States military, man, where nobody cares. It's all competence. You get promoted, it's your ability to perform, and nobody tolerates anything else. You and I both know that. And, And here is a guy who's 180 degrees out. He's about division and he's about all of this this garbage that the Biden administration is And I just think well, listen to that and I think this is a very bad sign for readiness for the capacity to win a war. You're not building a team, man. You're supposed to be united. Yeah. everybody so you only think of each other as one unit and instead you're dividing them
2: yeah it's it's really uh, it's really an odd experience for me I've been I've, I've, I've known uh, about general Brown no uh, met him a couple of times uh, but when he was a colonel uh, squadron commander commander of the weapons school I believe he was uh, you know I, I've sat in red flag briefing rooms and red flags a big war game that we do out of Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas you know and, uh, and and he would take the stage he's always he was always talking about being the best fighter pilot or the best squadron commander or the best weapons officer Uh, and he never wanted to be known as the the black fighter pilot or, or weapons officer, or African American, whatever term uh, folks wanna use. Uh, and he even said that in his opening statement, uh, I believe, of his, of his hearing, but then the policies that he advocates, and you're talking about the speech that you saw, I've seen the same one, uh, uh, and the policies that he has had, uh, Lieutenant General Rich Clark, who I also know and flew with in B-1 bombers, uh, were in the same peer group, uh, commissioning year group uh, is the superintendent of the Air Force Academy uh, has has insisted that critical race theory and wokeism, uh, Marxist ideology, uh, be used to not educate our future leaders on how to combat it because it's an enemy of freedom, but indoctrinating them in those cultural Marxist ideologies for them to use on our own people. Uh, I mean, that is the problem uh, with this guy, is that on one side of his mouth, he goes, oh yeah, I don't wanna be known as the black fighter pilot, I wanna be the best fighter pilot. And that's the way you and I believe. But then you hear and you see the other side, and he's taken his talk from just a talk to implementing policy all the way from accessions, up through the General Officer Corps in the Air Force, and now is gonna bring that to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And quite frankly, I was disappointed. I I watched the two hours and 18-minute testimony, and and honestly, other than one or two hits, like Senator Schmidt from Missouri, and and one of the other guys, I think, from Oklahoma, uh, nobody really pushed him on this. It was just the same old, same old, squishy, you know, uh, Republicans and Democrats saying, oh, you're great, Uh, and he does have a great record. I'm not gonna deny him that. He's an exceptional Air Force officer, uh, uh, but uh, but he has gone down this political path that really is destroying the Air Force, uh, and, uh, and it will continue to grow unless we put a stop to it. Sam, I've got to do a, an ad read here real quick, and then we got to take a break, but we'll be coming right back, uh, to talk about more about China, get a little bit into the, uh, what it's doing with strategic partnerships with friends of the United States and the Western allies, uh, and what the impact of that might be, uh, and then, uh, how it's treating our our weak diplomats uh, as they go to visit China. Well folks, uh, attention Americans, breaking news, Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is being implemented as we speak. Don't be fooled, it won't benefit you. Act now before it's too late. The Federal Reserve's phase, phase deployment of FedNow starts on July 1st, 2023. Brace yourselves, this may catch many off guard. Your hard earned assets are at risk, but there's a way to legally opt out of the digital dollar in time. How do you ask? With one straightforward, entirely legal tax loophole. Contact my friends at American Alternative Assets for a free Wealth Protection Guide. Learn how to safeguard your wealth from a failing dollar in volatile markets with gold and silver IRAs. Dial 833-2USA-GOLD That's right. Uh, Call now, 833-287-2465. This invaluable guide will outline the precise steps you need to take immediately to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals, all without any tax consequences. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Call 833-2USA-GOLD. That's right. Call it now, 833-287-2465. That's 833-287-2465, and get it done now before it's too late. I'm Rob Manis. We'll be right
5: back. Attention, Americans. Breaking news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled. It won't benefit you. Take action now. The Federal Reserve phase deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared. This may catch many off guard. Your hard-earned assets are in jeopardy.
4: China and the Solomon Islands have signed a deal on police cooperation, fueling unease in the West about Beijing's growing influence in the South Pacific. Prime Minister Manasseh Sogavare met with Chinese President Xi Jinping and Premier Li Chiang in Beijing. It's the Solomon leaders' first visit to the country since sealing the controversial security pact with China last year. The two sides have upgraded their relations to a comprehensive strategic partnership, further deepening ties. for years after the Pacific nation cut diplomatic relations with Taiwan. and The police pact is one of nine new agreements signed. Premier Li praised the progress of their bilateral relations as, quote, very fruitful and described the Solomons' expansion of ties with Beijing as the correct choice.
2: Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show on Red Voice Media Network, where we try to bring you the facts and the truth, and you get to make up your own mind about what's really happening in the world and avoid all the propaganda narratives that the uh, corporate and government types are uh, trying to force down your throats. So we're talking with uh, our friend Sam Faddis uh, uh, about China, national security, and the issues associated with what the Chinese Communist Party uh, has been doing for decades, sometimes aided by us. Uh, a uh, uh, no, matter of fact, often aided by the United States uh, in an attempt to. Uh Bring the Chinese Communist Party to heel and into an, a capitalist mode, Sam. But uh, uh, this example of the Solomon Islands uh, Strategic Partnership Agreement uh, uh, is, is just one example, but it's one of the most glaring ones, you know, considering how much blood Americans shed uh, in World War II uh, for those islands to make them free, for them to willingly handcuff themselves to the Chinese Communist Party uh, and and essentially walk away from places like uh, Taiwan uh, uh, and those kind of things uh, is really compelling, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I— My my dad was a naval officer, and for a while I went to a private school in Charleston, South Carolina. I went middle school, junior high, and it had converted relatively recently from being a military school. And I bring it up because, as a a very recently converted military school, most of the instructors were prior military, and a huge proportion of them were Marine veterans of the Second World War. Many of whom had fought on Guadalcanal. Yeah. I just imagine uh, any of them that are still, well, They're, I guess they're probably all gone now and they're all rolling in their graves at this. I mean, look, we're seeing this all over the world, as you well know, where the Chinese are using their influence, their the money that we are giving them, and they are just buying access to all sorts of strategic locations around the world. And it's always the same, right? There's some sort of agreement. Always couched in terms of police agreements or, I don't know, training agreements, all this kind of generally innocuous sounding verbiage. But the bottom line is what it does is it gives the Chinese the op- the right to bring in military forces and establish a base and begin the process of plusing up. And once that happens, obviously, they're, they're, they're not going to the Solomon Islands just to hang out and train or because they really think there's some amazing requirement that they have to go yep. make the police in Solomon Island better at their job, right? I mean, that's all yep. garbage there to establish a military presence, and why? Because it's part of their general expansion in in the Pacific, Um, and the same reason we were fighting over those islands in World War II, because of their strategic position. So, we're seeing this. We we let this genie out of the bottle, right? I mean, we decided to go down this road decades ago of entangling ourselves with the Mm -hmm. Communist Chinese and making the Chinese Communist Party rich. And we yeah. told ourselves the story that uh, it was going to mean, mean that they would liberalize and democratize and wanna be just like us and be our buddies. And all we've done is make the dragon one heck of a lot bigger and meaner. And now we're actually facing the real, the real prospect. We might lose a war to these guys in the Pacific. Yeah. You know, you See the status quo yeah. that's existed since 1945 get changed real fast. Um, if we're not
2: Yeah, when you when you look at the uh, you know the Solomon Islands uh, is, is the one that stands out to be the most in the Pacific uh, AOR uh, if we had to go fight them in a war and I'm not ta- just talking about Taiwan, I'm talking about you know a, you know a, a, at least an AOR wide uh, war uh that would be I mean we'd be spilling marines blood again to retake that bloody ground uh, because it would be needed uh, from a logistics perspective. But, but the Belt and Road Initiative uh, is what I know their global, more global outreach effort as, you know. Uh, I mean, that has resulted in uh, they basically own the Panama Canal because they have Chinese companies that run both ends of it. Uh, uh, you know, that's a, that's a global uh, and a hemispheric choke point for especially the United States Navy. Uh, I had John Mill, Colonel John Mills on uh, on Monday, of this or Tuesday, and we did a map drill talking about just Navy shipyards uh, for the United States, the government shipyards, uh, and we're down to so few, uh, and, uh, and only one of them is really operational on the West Coast, so if the Panama Canal gets closed to us and we have to go fight our way in to retake that, uh, you know our eastern, our eastern seaboard and Gulf Coast ship, shipyards are going to be cut off uh, in a way uh, 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 that uh, would be devastating. I mean, I mean the Pacific AOR, the Indo-Pacific AOR, is a Navy-centric fight. And an air centric fight, but the air can't do it alone. You got to have naval forces, uh, just like you have to have boots on dirt to, to be able to win. Uh, you got to have naval forces on the surface, uh, in addition to air forces, uh, and you got to have the marines that are amphibious capable to take the dirt that is out there where it's necessary to do it at, uh, uh a la MacArthur in World War II. Uh, so it's very, uh, uh, uh I think it's it's very risky what we're doing by by you know facing away with this whole Europe issue with Ukraine and Russia uh, so much. I'm not saying we should be totally disengaged like you, uh, it's just that we've got to have uh, a, a a logical approach to these things. And the logic is not there, Sam. It, it's really uh, it, it's really concerning to me when I hear things. Uh, like, well, you know, China, I still hear it. Uh, well, China, you know, we can't disengage from them. Uh, they have too much of production and, and the world economy. Uh, it's, it's almost as if people don't know what time it is in the world yep. today.
3: Yeah, I, I hear that and it drives me crazy too. Um because look, I mean, we're back to this central theme I guess of the conversation which is where where is the national security policy? Where's the unifying principles which again have to be driven by one thing? What makes what makes the world safer for American citizens? Right? That's that's your number one job anywhere in the national security apparatus. Where's the policy? Okay. And uh, clearly we have made the Chinese more powerful and more dangerous. And again, and obviously, when I say that, I'm not talking about 1.4 billion average Chinese who are the ones who suffer more than anybody else under the CCP. We're talking about the Chinese Communist Party. The CCP is a it, you know, is focused on global hegemony. It is a evil totalitarian thing, and we have made it powerful, and it's now we are now in danger of actually losing a war to these guys. So nobody's saying we should disengage from the Chinese as in tomorrow we should simply prohibit all imports and exports with China and sever. 30, 40 years of connections in in a heartbeat. Obviously, that's absurd. But Mm -hmm. why is it impossible to begin a thought out methodical process? I would start with the things that are most important to us from a national security perspective of disentangling either focusing on production here at home or at a minimum. Mm Production in friendly, allied nations, not in China, What Should we, for instance, really be reliant upon the Chinese for most of the pharmaceuticals and antibiotics that our troops would need in the case of a conflict? That doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, Should we accept... That we increasingly do not have the capacity to produce the vessels we need to have the navy that, as you suggest quite correctly, we must have. I mean, we we could go down a list pretty quickly and say, all right, let's just start with what we designate as the strategic interests, and let's begin turning the super tanker. This is not about a 180 degree turn all at once. Yeah. Let's- Begin to push away. Let's pr- bring production home. Let's p- rely on production in friendly nations. Let's not put the Chinese in position. We're doing the opposite. I mean, look at the whole electric vehicle Green New Deal thing. We're, we're- <laughs> We're pushing ourselves to a complete dependence on things like lithium-ion battery. We'll make a list of all the earth minerals you need to make one. And the Chinese have a stranglehold, like 90% of the world's production, for every one of them. So we're not making ourselves more independent. We're making ourselves more dependent. And in (laughs) fact, the Biden administration is talking about how the military now needs to move to electric vehicles and stop burning gas and this kind of crazy i mean we're not not only not doing rational things we're doing completely irrational things
2: yeah that's exactly why i titled the show the way i did uh, because when i sat down and thought about it uh it, it put some brain cells on it, I'm like, well, our policies are actually weakening us and strengthening the Chinese uh, uh, Communist Party. And, uh, and over the long term, I mean, you and I have both said this many times, we, we have done it to ourselves because we wanted to bring the Chinese Communist Party to heal from a capitalist uh, and economic perspective economic freedom perspective that obviously was uh, is an approach that the outcome we didn't get uh, the outcome is we've created uh, a uh, an emerging global hegemon uh, uh, from an economic perspective that is totally unlike the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, you know, was a command-driven economy that we isolated. We kept them fairly weak. They could build their own things, and they brought you know uh, satellite states into uh, the USSR, and were able to uh, to maintain, build, and maintain that power for a limited period of time until we got our act together and just spent them in to the ground uh, in the late 70s, uh, in the 1980s. And, and and that's what I'm convinced caused that breakup uh, uh, and the, the dissipation of the USSR was that right there. But we didn't do that with China. We've created a China that is as capable technologically uh, from a digital perspective or more than we are uh, and is quickly Approaching the technological capability that the United States has from things like steel, uh, you know, uh, other types of materials. You mentioned the battery materials. Ninety percent uh, China controls ninety percent of those materials throughout the world. It's it, that is a strategic failure, I believe, on our part and the West part. Uh, that uh, that unless we really get the ship started. Uh, to turn around, it's gonna be a really heavy lift the further we get into this. Do you think the, uh, before we go to the next break, I just wanted to ask you, as I thought about it while you were talking, uh, the CHIPS Act, uh, I mean, that. The intent of that is to bring chip production back to the United States or to the West and incur, you know, provide incentives for companies to do that. But I've heard that, that Chinese companies are being given the ability to produce chips on U.S. soil uh, through that very act. Uh, uh, I thought that was gonna be a beginning of turning the big ship around. Uh, but is, is that true? Uh, are, we, are we doing the right things with that? Uh, or is that just, uh, we're chasing a ghost?
3: Well, I agree with you that the concept is an example uh, at first at first blush of what we ought to be doing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Forcing production back home. But then it all comes down to the implementation. As far as I know, yes, Chinese companies can participate in it. And look, we've we're seeing all cra- kinds of crazy stuff. We're seeing Chinese companies come to the United States and set up, and as part of their founding documents. They are requiring that the company that's being created in the United States follow the principles of the Chinese Communist Party and obey the dictates of the Chinese Communist Party. There's a big big case up in Michigan with with a company like this. So, yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose if you say the production's got to be here, but it's still under Chinese control.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, Sam, we've got to take uh, one more break here. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk about and show some of the evidence that the Chinese obviously think they're in a position of strength over the United States and the West uh, by their own behavior, and it's pretty easy to see. I'm Rob Manus, Red Voice Media Network. We'll be right back after
5: these messages. It's a crazy world out there, and we're facing more uncertainty than our country has faced in a long time, if ever. And the most important advice that we can give you and your loved ones is be prepared. Most people don't realize they need something until it's too late, whether it's a natural disaster, a sustained power outage, political upheaval, or God forbid, war. You need to be prepared. Don't put yourself in that situation. Have food and water on hand to provide for you and your loved ones during the worst of times, and then pray you never need it thankfully we have just the solution for you heaven's harvest has everything you need to prepare for the unexpected you get prepared and you support a pro-america christian company that shares your values at the same time everyone wins and the best news is you also get discounts on emergency survival foods heirloom vegetable seed kits water filtration and storage kits and loads of other survival resources such as guides on how to grow and preserve your foods so Get ahead, be prepared, and survive with a company that shares your values. And we have you covered with great discounts. Go to heavensharvest.com and use promo code RVM to save 10%. Again, that's heavensharvest.com and use promo code RVM to save 10% on your order.
3: I want to bring in Michael Pillsbury now. Good to see you, Michael. We, saw, we heard all sorts of Thank expressions uh, from Edward's report there, you feed a crocodile, it's still going to eat you. Uh, look, <laughs> do you think Secretary Yellen is accomplishing anything here? I mean, certainly, China, is it a competitor? Is it a partner or is it just a plain adversary?
6: Well, as I have said to you before, Ashley, mm-hmm. uh, they, they perceive Janet Yellen as their friend. They see her as the pro-China voice uh, and the advisors around mm-hmm. uh, President Biden. So what they're doing here in, in the, is a larger strategy. The Chinese are simply refusing to negotiate. They won't enter into talks at all. Uh, they're refusing to restart the military channel to try to prevent accidental war. Why? Because we have mm-hmm. sanctions on their defense minister. So this kind of trip is really a hopeless uh, maneuver, Hmm. in my view, because there's no actual negotiations going on.
2: Welcome back to the Rob Manish show on Red Voice Media Network. We're live uh, talking uh, China again, and we will continue to talk about China, especially the Chinese Communist Party, because they are the major threat to freedom uh, in the world today. And it's something, it's a situation that we have not come to grips with uh, in this country like we were able to do against the Soviet Union. Uh, And uh, our nation continues to struggle with that, Sam. And we're talking with Sam Faddis, friend of the show, retired CIA officer, uh, author, senior editor at Anne Magazine, and I might add, uh, a former federal congressional candidate. Thank you for your service and thank you for continuing to put yourself out there, Sam, to to, uh, serve the people of the United States like many of us are trying to do in our own way after our official uh, 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 service has been uh, completed, but, uh, you know, the actions that, uh, in that little clip there uh, about the Yellen trip, you know, before was the Blinken trip, and the way the Chinese Communist Party is treating these senior-level officials when they come to visit, number one, and number two, that they refuse to meet with uh, the uh, Secretary of Defense and senior Department of Defense officials, especially even to talk about the prevention of dangerous military activities, which we've seen uh, a lot of that recently, too, uh, proves to me and should prove to any Uh, objective observer, and and I'm talking to you, American citizens, you need to understand this, uh, that uh, the Chinese Communist Party believes that it is in a serious, a serious position of power over the United States of America. Am I wrong in that?
3: No. I think, if anything, that's an understatement. I mean, look, I... Joe Biden himself, I, by the, according to the best information that I can access, has taken. I mean, he and his and and Hunter and company have taken what at least 31 million dollars from figures mm-hmm. tied to the Chinese Communist Party. Walk through the entire national security team of the Biden administration, Secretary of State, all everybody, CIA director included, all yeah. of them. Completely compromised by the communist Chinese. I mean, at, at least to the extent that they have taken huge amounts of money and they long from the Chinese and they long since threw in with the Chinese. So we are we are not talking about folks. Again, at at a minimum, I mean, I, I think in Biden's case, quite frankly, it's worse than this because I, I think he's he was bought and paid for a long time ago. But at a minimum. These are people who have adopted a worldview that we're the declining power, China's the rising power, and they're, they're kind of betting on the horse that they think it is going to win. So anytime somebody travels to China and the press begins to speculate about how this is going to turn out and suggesting that they believe that one of our officials is going to go there and sort of lay down the law and get tough— and push back on the Chinese, I think, you know, this is a fairy tale, and This is this is interesting fiction, but it's absolutely nothing more than that. That is not what is happening. I mean, you can send any of this team that Biden's got around him over there. Nobody's pushing back on the Chinese, and the Chinese, at an absolute rock-bottom minimum, do not take any of them seriously. They own these guys. So we can posture and, you know, a lot of the mainstream Mm companies can say they want to create the fantasy image that the Biden administration is standing up for us. That's not what's happening. The Chinese have heard this. Again, at a minimum, they've taken the measure of this administration, and they think we can run the table on these guys.
2: Yeah, even even the media, which is uh, totally in the tank for the Biden administration. I mean, totally. Uh, it doesn't matter. I can't say it any stronger than that. Uh, but even they were reporting today that they're, you know, he's going to send five more visits of lower level, below Yellen and Blinken level uh, folks over there. But even they were reporting it wasn't to to get in their face, it's to continue to soften the relationship uh, uh, between the United States and China and cool things off uh, is what those visits are. Uh, And uh, they won't be taken seriously. If they won't take the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of the Treasury seriously, they're not gonna take anybody uh, seriously. You you know, and you mentioned the, uh, I call, I, I said Biden was captured uh, in, in my opening uh, monologue, and, and, and I think all of these officials, we did a whole show, uh, if you remember, on the CIA director, uh, uh, he's completely captured. So facing all of that, uh, and then you see the Chinese movements uh, in, in organizations like BRICS, which is Brazil. Uh, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, and I don't know how many other nations have joined BRICS and everything in this attempt to go to a gold standard uh, uh, currency uh, and at least weaken the dollar as the reserve currency in the world, and and then tying up with Saudi Arabia, I see that as an approach to weaken the petrodollar concept that uh, that we've had the advantage of throughout the years. Uh, uh, when you see those uh, and, and juxtapose it up against these visits, uh, uh, I mean, how do we ever overcome that, Sam? Uh, we've just got a couple minutes left here, but uh, I'd like to leave the American people with something positive. To, well, what does the plan need to be considering the situation we put ourselves into.
3: Yeah, well, I I mean, I I am optimistic in this sense. I don't think there is any... Physical issue here that we cannot overcome. We can bring production back to the United States. We can fundamentally change our economic relationship with the Chinese. We can do all of these things. There, there is no physical impediment. All we have to do is put in place the people politically who will make who will make those decisions to do that. Uh, what are we combating now? We have an administration that's owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Let's be blunt. Uh, yep. The one thing that that does trouble me is this. We talk about things like Taiwan, stuff like that. Are the Chinese going to move on? it? If you're Xi Jinping and you've got your boy that took $31 million from the Chinese Communist Party in the White House and you're trying to calculate when to move on Taiwan or do something else like that, Mm-hmm. Are you gonna move now, or are you gonna really roll the dice and wait and see if Donald Trump is back in the White House after the 2024 election? Everybody does these, cal- you know, this calculus of when might we actually end up with something kinetic going on, to use the expression. And I think that's one mm-hmm. factor that left out is, okay, if we if we impose a blockade, we being the CCP on Taiwan tomorrow. What are the chances Joe Biden orders the seventh fleet to break that blockade versus how that plays if Donald J. Trump is back in the White House or for that matter, Ron DeSantis?
2: Yeah, Sam, I think that's the key driver right there uh, is the 2024 election, uh, uh, which is why myself, you, a lot of other folks that are still in uniform and very senior people think uh, that conflict, uh, kinetic conflict will come sooner rather than later if the issue is about Taiwan and if China intends to to reunify Taiwan uh, uh, through the use of force. Well, thanks very much for joining me today. It's been a great conversation. Uh, real quick, what are your coordinates? Where can folks find you and AND Magazine? Uh, because it's a, it, it, you guys put out great articles. I read it religiously. Uh, and uh, I want folks to go there and check it out.
3: Yeah, AND Magazine, A-N-D Magazine at Substack. So that's A-N-D Magazine dot dot com. And from there, you get to all our social media. We're on all the platforms. Well, thanks. Until next time, sir, and there will be a next
2: time. We appreciate you. Uh, My best to you and your family, and uh, have a great day. God bless.
3: Thank you very much.
2: Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that was Retired CIA. Officer uh, Sam Pattis said, uh, friend of the Rob Mena show, talking China uh, in a very serious discussion. But we can turn this ship around. We can. Hey, uh, RVM Network's up on Roku Live. Now just search RVM or RVM Network on uh, Roku and you'll find the live streaming and all the previous shows and those kind of things. We're going to be up on Apple TV, Samsung, Amazon Fire here real soon. Uh, so check it out there. And my show will start a new time slot starting Monday. night with more Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. So the live Rob Maynard show 7 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Thursday. Nothing else has changed. I'll see you then. Over to Drew Berquist and this is my show.